Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show, our first show of the new year. We began with some technical difficulties, but we're back and better than ever in Super 3D. That's right. If you've got your 3D glasses, put them on now because we're coming to you in 3D. I don't know how that works through the radio, but uh, we're, we're doing it. Uh, we are still working on putting together our new video feed. Uh, still need a few more pieces and parts and supplies. As soon as we get that, we will be back live on YouTube and Facebook Live as well. So stay tuned for the announcements on that. The RadicalRust.com website is under development this month. We hope to have that finished by the end of the month for you. So uh, going to be all sorts of cool stuff there. Archives of my interviews of you know various luminaries in the cannabis community uh, throughout the years. So we'll have plenty of that for you. And uh, archives of my spreadsheets. Um, I've got some pretty detailed data on marijuana legalization, legalization polls, drug use surveys, and so forth. And I'll be putting that online in an interactive format for you all, uh, available exclusively to the VIP subscribers of RadicalRust.com. We'll be getting that back up as well. We're also going to have T-shirts and posters and pins and all sorts of stuff for sale. So be looking forward to that coming up toward the end of this month here at RadicalRust.com. All right. Coming up on today's show, we've got your cannabis radio news headlines. We'll get to those. We are also going to be talking today at half past the hour in our activist agenda with my friend Michael Kravitz. He's the uh, he's with the uh, uh, Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access organization. He does a lot of work internationally as well with uh, the uh, the issue of marijuana legalization and medical marijuana access. So we'll talk to Michael at half past the hour. We'll also have time for a radical rant today where I'm going to talk about that Nevada marijuana legalization that goes into effect or went into effect as of January 1st and how uh, I'm a little disappointed in it uh, based on its no home grow halo situation. So we'll talk about that coming up at the end of the show. In drug war data mining today, we've got some new data, some new forecasts coming to us from the ArcView Group and New Frontier Data uh, some more forecasts on how big the marijuana market could actually grow to be. That's all coming up here live from Portland, Oregon at Delta 9 Studios. I'm Radical Russ. We're back with the news right after this.
The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Hey, everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Day in the Cannabis Focus, we only have about a minute to talk because of our late start, so I'll just update you on the forthcoming events that I'll be traveling to if you would like to catch me live and in person. Coming up at the end of the month, I will be presenting at the Virginia Cannabis Conference. That's uh, January 28th through the 30th. And that will be, I believe it's in Richmond, Virginia, but you can find out more information by visiting vanormal.org. In February, I'll be at the International Cannabis Business Conference in San Francisco, February 16th and 17th. That's a Thursday, Friday event. And I believe Tommy Chong will be there, most likely. And uh, we'll have plenty to talk about since California has just legalized marijuana. In the month of March, I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but Spanibus is taking place in Barcelona, Spain, uh, the second and or the tenth and eleventh. And then in April, the International Cannabis Business Conference travels to Berlin, Germany, on April eleventh and twelfth, hoping to be there as well. Oh God, I thought that was absolutely dreadful <laughs> i'm sorry simon you're you're right we got a late start had some technical difficulties but when we come back we've got something absolutely phenomenal that's our drug war data mining where we're going to take a look at the latest data from the new frontier data folks and arq research group taking a look at the forecasts for the legal marijuana market stay tuned Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Do you want to get in on the booming cannabis industry? With New Frontier Data, we give industry insiders the power of big data analytics to help navigate this rapidly growing and changing landscape. New Frontier's tools help you make critical decisions based on the facts. Our industry analyst reports reveal the best opportunities. Our custom research engagements deliver answers to the most difficult questions. And our cutting-edge big data platform, Equio, puts real-time information and answers you need right at your fingertips. Go to www.equio.io and sign up for your free membership today. That's eqio.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Good to everybody. Radical Russ here in Aspen, Colorado at the Alaska Northwest Cannabis Classic. 
at the 26th annual Boston Freedom Rally at the High Times Cannabis Cup, Northern California. Day one of Canacon in Seattle, Washington. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belville Show is... The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. The ICBC San Francisco, Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election, will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, leveraging our worldwide following to connect wholesalers, brands, distributors, investors, and strategic partners. And don't forget to come early for our VIP reception and stay late for our legendary after party. Join us for the longest continuously running cannabis business conference in California at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square, the one and only International Cannabis Business Conference. Visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at new information released by ArcView Market Research, uh, and they've also been uh, partnering with New Frontier Data and BDS Analytics on this, and they're just about to release their 2016 uh, Legal Marijuana Markets Report. Uh, they've got the pre-sales going for this, and you can find out more at ArcView's website. And one interesting change that they've made to their methodology this year is they're going with what they call North American market numbers. They're going to include Canada for the first time ever in these uh, analytics. So the North American uh, cannabis market size estimates uh, up through 2021 are going to be a part of this state of legal marijuana markets report. This is going to be released on January 16th at ArcView's private investor forum in Los Angeles. It's a 200 plus page report uh, that will be released in February for the general public. So uh, this report finds that the regulated marijuana sales. Now, when they say that they're referring to adult use as well as medical, the regulated marijuana sales in North America totaled $6.7 billion in 2016. $6.7 billion in 2016. That was a 30% increase from 2015. And sales are projected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 25%. We're going to go from $6.7 billion in sales in 2016 to an estimated $20.2 billion by 2021. Now, these are from point of sale. Uh, This is data they get from point of sale. BDS Analytics gets this from uh, the different uh, retailers in the legal and medical states. And again, the first time they've included Canada in this, uh, the only 
according to Tom Adams, ArcView's market research editor-in-chief, he says, quote, the only consumer industry categories I've seen reach $5 billion in annual spending and then post anything like 25% compound annual growth in the next five years are cable television, which was a 19% growth in the 90s, and broadband internet, which was a 29% growth in the 2000s. He continues saying the biggest game changer for the future are the four new states that approved adult use measures. 21% of the total U.S. population now live in legal adult use markets. Spending in the largest three adult use markets, that would be Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, was up 62% through September after doubling in 2015, fueled in large part by the sudden popularity of alternative ingestion methods such as edibles and concentrates. End quote. So pretty uh, amazing numbers there for us to uh, have doubled in one year and then still up by almost two thirds uh, through September here in Oregon and then also in Colorado and Washington. Troy Dayton, the CEO of ArcView, also says, quote, you will not find another multi-billion dollar market growing at 25 percent anywhere in the world that is not already filled with multinational companies and institutional investors. That's part of what makes the cannabis industry such a unique opportunity for investors and entrepreneurs, end quote. You can find out more about ArcView at ArcView.com, I believe, and they've got uh, more information for you uh, through their media contact. His name's Alex Howe, and you can reach him Alex at PowerPlantStrategies.com if you want more information on this. And of course, all of these market research uh, forecasts, I always have to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt because this is based on the current trends and how marijuana uh, sales and use have grown throughout the Obama administration. We have a new administration coming in. We have a, uh, a, a, a Donald Trump coming in as president with a Jeff Sessions as a possible attorney general. And you know, I, I it it just remains to be seen whether or not these predictions are going to uh, are going to hold steady. It could only take a couple of memos, a couple of raids to make a major difference in how much investors are willing to risk and how many entrepreneurs are willing to get into the market. And that could reduce or even, uh, you know, put us at a, at a uh, negative if the right situation occurs here under this new administration. But, of course, all investment is uh, subject to risk. Who knows what could possibly happen? Maybe there's a uh, maybe the administration defies my expectations and institutes banking for marijuana and uh, states rights approach and the market takes off even faster. I would just say as you listen to these types of uh, investment uh, uh, forecasts, understand that a lot of times it's because it's 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 uh, being written by firms, by people who have uh have a vested interest in you wanting to think this is going to be a good market in you believing the best possible scenarios. Just go into it with, you know, your eyes open and understand that this is still a very politically volatile issue. I know a lot of people think we're past the tipping point that we've reached a point where there's too much money at stake and it's too much of a growing industry. And that may be true, but never forget that this is all subject and is all propped up right now to the coal memo. This is this everything we've experienced 
in the, all the growth, all the trends that they're basing this on is in a world with the coal memo. If that coal memo goes away and U.S. attorneys decide to start flexing their muscles and DEA agents start raiding legal manufacturers and testers and cultivators, who knows what's going to happen to this market? All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll get Michael Kravitz on the line, talk a little bit about international cannabis reform and what's happening with our nation's veterans when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the newest and greatest podcast in the galaxy, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, your insider industry connection to accurate and entertaining information about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. Rolling joints and dropping knowledge about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. The future of legal cannabis has arrived, and we want to give you The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Baker. Look for new episodes at CannabisRadio.com, TheRealDirt.com, or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. All right, everyone, welcome back for our activist agenda day and our first agenda of 2017. We get one of my favorite guests on the phone. It's Michael Krawitz joining us. Michael, can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Fantastic. Glad to have you here. Happy New Year to you. 
Happy New Year to you and everyone on the radio. Well, before I get into uh, my questions, you uh, got in touch with me wanting to uh, discuss a few issues. Is there anything in particular that's at the top of your agenda for 2017? <laughs> yeah, a uh, couple of things. Uh, we're we're uh, hoping that uh, we're going to see some movement on our Veterans Equal Access Amendment, and there's been a lot of confusion on that. Uh, We did get our effort to change the VA policy past uh, a House and a Senate committee. Uh, It seemed like it had been passed into law, but in fact it had been stripped from the final version of the bill before the President signed it uh, by a conference committee. So that looks like kind of back where we're at. And uh, we're also, believe it or not, heading to the World Health Organization again, uh, we've finally gotten some traction on, believe it or not, uh, amending the international drug control treaties. Hmm. Uh, what what sort of amendments are you uh, getting traction on? Well, there's a process, and you know, th- there's always the chance that any country can go and just present their case, uh, try to change the treaty. I mean, that's what Bolivia did uh, not that many years ago with Coca, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a really hard, uh, almost completely uphill battle because you have to get consensus from the from the uh, Commission on Narcotic Drugs, it's called. And what, what I've found and what we've been looking at is a process internally by which the World Health Organization has the authority to update, based on the evidence, the record of cannabis and to recommend changes in treaty appropriate to that change in, in evidence base. And guess when the evidence was collected? It was before the birth of the World Health Organization. The evidence <laughs> collection process was back in the days of the League of Nations, back in 1935, in the days of Harry Anslinger. And it's, it's uh, surreal, but that's actually where the international treaty uh, is based, is uh, almost a different universe than what we're living in today. Hmm. All right. So uh, great uh, news there on the international front. We're moving forward on that. And so it's possible then that we might get uh, what the uh, international uh, community to recognize U.S. states that legalize or recognize medical marijuana. What what are we going to try to protect here? Well, in essence, the process is stuck in 1935. So uh, there's no uh, uh, reflection in the treaty policy based, uh, you know, uh, treat, uh, reflecting the cannabinoid receptor system or the value of CBD or, or the widespread use of cannabis as a medicine throughout the world. It's still treating cannabis as a pariah, uh, something that is completely ununderstood. And if we can get the World Health Organization to finish this process, which we've now got them to start, and get them to actually make these recommendations, we're hoping that we can get the world to act on them. And at a minimum, it should allow for easier access uh, to cannabis and and for cannabis to be treated the way it should be as a a very important substance uh, to mankind for medicine, uh, not in the treaty as it is now, uh, treated like poppy. Just look at poppy is what it basically says under cannabis. (laughs) Exactly. And, uh, Michael, I I reported earlier today that uh, the United Kingdom is moving forward with uh, recognition of cannabidiol, CBD, and we've seen some other countries now that are moving forward with uh, medical marijuana, uh, notably Mexico's going to – a bill in the Senate, I think. Are are we getting to the point where at least medical marijuana is going to be so uh, universally recognized throughout most of the U.N. countries that they're going to have to do something about that? It's it's interesting. Um, Where we're at right now is that 
the, the world has already moved forward on medical cannabis. The United States not only has been dragging its feet, but the, the federal government of the United States has been looking in the opposite direction for so long that they've actually gotten kind of out of the loop. And there's the, a, a huge number of countries, like 30 uh, countries, I believe, in total, that have n uh, an office uh, in the United Nations process that uh, handles cannabis. They uh, put in the documentation as normal, legally, for p patients in that country, uh, like Germany, like Netherlands, like Canada, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, uh, for many years. And uh, the, the reality of it is that the things that the DEA has been saying about the treaty have not been true. They've even contradicted their the State Department. You know, when, they, when the DEA said that they couldn't contract out uh, the cannabis growing to a non-government entity, that's ridiculous. There's countries all over the world that are doing that quite legally under the UN protocols. I think where we're at right now is an interesting crossroads, though, because, as you said, with CBD, well, you remember, uh, anyone who's been really studying the marijuana movement for a, a while uh, knows that hemp uh, is kind of a, a separated issue that, you know, cannabis was cannabis. We were all together trying to legalize marijuana. Uh, we learned about cannabis, then we learned about hemp. <laughs> and the hempster said, hey, let's deal with this separately as an industrial issue. It doesn't really have a lot of the same context as your uh, social issues and your medical issues. Let's deal with this as an industrial issue. And the movement said, fine. But now that we're talking about CBD, we're talking about getting CBD from hemp, all of a sudden the hemp issues are coming back home. And this this is what really gets fascinating at the international level because hemp is actually exempted from treaty control. And if you grow a, a you know, low enough THC where they're calling it hemp, uh, it's exempted from control. But if you start trying to produce a medicine, CBD, and send it around the world and have some sort of regulatory control over that, uh, you can see how a reinventing of the wheel is uh, imminent. Wow, this is uh, fascinating stuff, talking with uh, Michael Krawitz here. And, uh, of course, the other issue we've got to get to is talking about uh, the incoming administration and the new uh, Congress that will be seated. We've made some progress recently in the Congress with things like the Rohrabacher Amendment and getting you know some movement on that veterans bill. But uh, what do you see coming forth from the next Congress? Uh, more conservative, to maybe a backlash against this or continued progress? I, I really don't know what to say. You know, it's uh, it's almost a box that any way I would turn, I would say something that would be wrong because everyone that's tried to guess anything about uh, Trump has <laughs> guessed it wrong. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, we've been doing pretty good. You know, uh, on number one, uh, we've actually gotten a lot of uh, uh, of the uh, uh, bills and efforts that we've done and, and got passed in, in the last year or two uh, through uh, very conservative-led, uh, kind of Republican-controlled uh, committees. And on top of that, the uh, American... Uh, Legion now has joined forces with us and, and has uh, adopted a resolution which put them in the forefront of our movement, actually meeting with the, the incoming Trump administration, talking about medical cannabis as the largest representative veteran service organization in the nation. Uh, we've kind of grown up, our, our movement has grown up, and the, the realities of the billion-dollar industry that's underfoot, uh, I'm sure get close to home. I can't imagine that President-elect Trump, uh, is it still President-elect Trump? Yep, yep. Uh, is, is, uh, is, uh, I can't imagine that he's uh, not going to have someone close to him, someone in his inner circle, that, or more than one person in his inner circle that are heavily invested in the cannabis industry right now. 
Yeah, and, and with the new uh, figures we just uh, discussed from uh, ArcView Research saying there's going to be a $20.2 billion North American market between the United States and Canada, uh, there's a lot of people that are that are saying that this is a, a big money issue and who likes big money better than Donald Trump? And, and I imagine, you know, the, the big uh, gun companies are going to get a lot less orders for diamond-crusted uh, revolvers heading south of the border. Uh, but uh, it's nice to have some of those pallets, $100 bills, stay in the U.S. for a change. Yeah, and, you know, taking it back to that international, uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot of uh, uh, stories of how Mexican cannabis farmers are switching to poppies, having to uh, change up their business models because of U.S. legalization. And uh, what? Uh, tell us what you know about what's happening in Mexico and their efforts to uh, end their drug war. Well, I, I, I know that uh, our issues have done fairly well in Mexico. We uh, won a court battle to have the right to be able to cultivate cannabis on a personal level, and that's kind of working its way through the, the legislative system. Uh, the president of Mexico made an announcement just after the drug summit in, in uh, May, you know, talking about this new policy that's unfolding. And uh, I think that you have to realize that the prohibition of drugs is a big, you know, it's kind of like throwing gasoline on a fire. But once you stop throwing the gasoline on the fire, you still have to deal with the fire. <laughs> and, and I think that's kind of where Mexico's at. You know, this is in context of a much broader, uh, 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 you know, series of actions that it's going to take to uh, really rein in the, the, the terror that's kind of unfolded because of our, our positions on drugs and because of our U.S. Uh, monies and, and guns and, and appetite for drugs. I, I agree with the drug warriors when they say that we're fueling the drug war. I just don't agree with them in the, the proposed solutions that they come up with, which seem, which seem to always be, let's throw gasoline on the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, always frustrating to hear uh, those kind of prohibitionist tactics being discussed 80 years into this prohibition where we've discovered that none of them really work and they just make things worse. Uh, Michael, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the organizations you're working with and, uh, you know, tell our listeners how they can uh, help you out with those uh, organizations. Well, uh, right now, the thing that kind of jumps to mind is uh, uh, Marilyn Mathry with Patients at a Time, which is one of the organizations we worked with for a long time, has uh, started again another effort to try to uh, get everyone to, to sign a petition to get the outcoming administration to act. Uh, one last effort to, to get them to, to do something with uh, cannabis uh, rescheduling or descheduling. And uh, I think that's worth supporting. Uh, my organization, Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access, we're beginning to kind of do an, a, a, somewhat of a period of assessment. We're looking, we've had such great success in adding uh, post-traumatic stress as a qualifying condition under state laws that it's now uh, kind of become the thing to do, that if, uh, if a state is going to propose medical marijuana, we're not getting any debate as to whether we should add post-traumatic stress. And that's really, uh, really a great uh, a feeling for us, you know, because we, we got into this to add post-traumatic stress for good reason. The medicines that are available to pharmacies suck, and uh, cannabis really provides a benefit. It fits well in a program of care that has lots of different options available. Uh, the drugs that they give at the VA just particularly suck. And uh, cannabis reduces those pills. They reduce the opiate overdose deaths. They reduce the suicide rates. And uh, we're really excited to kind of take that to the next level and see how we can uh, bring all this information to bear on a system that's uh, maybe addicted to these drugs. Mm, very well put. And uh, speaking of Mary Lynn and the patients out of time, 
Their conference this year is in Berkeley, California. It's May 18th through the 20th. We'll be there to report from it, and I hope I hope to see you there, Michael. Absolutely, and uh, we're going to be following this string with the World Health Organization. We're heading back to Vienna in March to go to the uh, World uh, Summit, uh, you know, mini summit, you might call it, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, where they will be uh, hearing uh, more evidence and, and making more uh, mini tiny micro steps towards reform as we head towards 2019, which it looks like uh, is, is lining up to be a big year of reform for us. So, you know, keep the eye on the prize, people out there, and, and let's see if we can work with this new administration. Uh, I, I don't have any reason to feel that I can't. Uh, the veterans that I've been working with around the country seem to really support Trump. I, I hope he uh, recognized that. All right. Thank you, Michael, uh, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. Cannabis legalization efforts are increasing competition for businesses wanting to make it big. In this complex and fast-changing environment, only the savviest will survive. What are you going to do to stay ahead of the game? Enter New Frontier's free platform, Equio, the premier business intelligence, visualization, and marketing platform for the cannabis industry. With Equio, you can stay on top of your store sales, trends, and competition, better understand your seasonality and broader sales trends, identify and compare your top products and categories, and cross-buying opportunities. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. That's E-Q-U-I-O.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAfee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're so far behind. It's frightening. And in a cyber war, we can't hack into the Chinese. Back in 1979, they started building cyber defense systems. We didn't even think about it until 20 years ago. I've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. 
Nevada's Question 2 Marijuana Initiative passed with 54.5% of the vote in the 2016 election. The measure went into effect on January 1st, and it legalizes the personal possession of marijuana by adults 21 and older. It provides for the creation of over 100 retail outlets and allows adults to cultivate their own cannabis plants at home and possess the results of the harvest. But there's a catch. You're not allowed to grow your own cannabis if you live within 25 miles of one of those retail outlets. Now, Ohio's Issue 3 Marijuana Initiative failed with just 36% of the vote in the 2015 election. The measure would have legalized the personal possession of marijuana by adults 21 and older, provided for the creation of over 1,000 retail outlets, and allowed adults to cultivate their own cannabis plants at home. But there was a catch. You were not allowed to grow your own cannabis without a state license. Now, I was one of the few voices in the marijuana movement who was strongly in favor of passing Ohio's initiative. I was bombarded on all sides by colleagues, critics, and consumers who told me that Ohio's measure just had to be defeated because it contained a fatal flaw. It reserved 10 parcels of land in the state constitution as the only legal grow sites, parcels that were already owned by 10 investor groups that had contributed $2 million each to the campaign. It's an oligopoly, they told me. It's the corporate buyout of our movement, I was warned. It's an affront to capitalism, I heard repeatedly. How could we set the precedent that the 1% can just buy their own regulatory capture? How could we let the titans of industry steal our green rush right from under our noses? Well, I find it hilarious that the Ohio Issue 3 marijuana legalization just had to be opposed by the marijuana movement because it was an egregious affront to capitalism that locked in all the legal marijuana grow sites to the 10 investors in the initiative, even though it would have legalized home growing, even though it would have opened up thousands of recreational licenses open to any applicant, even though it provided medical marijuana to a far broader spectrum of patients than the subsequently passed Ohio medical marijuana bill that only allows a 90-day supply of non-smoked medicine bought from a dispensary, even though it would have allowed other growers to sublet land from investors for their own grow companies, and even though it would have maintained only a $150 fine and no criminal record minor misdemeanor for public toking, that had to be opposed but we were all gung-ho on board and fully promoting Nevada's Question 2. Even though for 18 months, it locks in all the retail, processing, and growing licenses to the existing medical marijuana industry, it locks in the distribution licenses to the alcohol industry, and that was a bribe so they wouldn't oppose legalization, it protects the medical marijuana industry further by banning the home grows within 25 miles of their retail outlets. And it mandates a $600 fine and a misdemeanor crime for public toking. Because, you know, we wouldn't want people all whacked out on drugs causing mayhem on the Vegas Strip now, would we? So to reiterate, had Ohio's legalization passed in 2015... Ohioans 21 and older could have been growing their own cannabis at home with a license. 
They could have been shopping for marijuana at one of over a thousand pot shops located all over the state. They could have gotten medical marijuana from a nonprofit dispensary that they could smoke for any condition a doctor determined reasonable in light of the potential benefit could have gotten that medical marijuana at a reduced cost if they're indigent and would have been facing only a ticket and a fine if caught toking in public. But that was bad because monopoly. But Nevada's legalization passing in 2016 means Nevadans 21 and older living in a city are still criminals if they grow cannabis at home. They're now criminals paying a $600 fine if they're caught toking in public. They're forced to shop at just around 100 pot shops that will mostly be around Reno and Las Vegas, which are stocked by the alcohol industry and can only be run by the growers who already have a monopoly deal in the state thanks to 2013 legislation that banned medical home growing after March 1st, 2016. And that's good because freedom? Look, I will always support any measure that ceases the punishment of any cannabis consumers. I don't give four-fifths of a flea's fart who makes money in the process. And I understand Otto von Bismarck's observations that politics is the art of the possible, and we may not always like the results we get in the sausage making. Just don't tell me that you're opposing legalization because it unfairly protects the profits of the companies that grow and sell marijuana when you're supporting bills and initiatives that do not restore our right to cultivate our own cannabis at home thereby forcing us to shop from the companies that grow and sell marijuana. I mean, it just seems telling to me that initiatives and bills that contain all manner of deference to the 1% in order to get them passed, like no home grow, exorbitant non-refundable application fees, seven-figure capital escrow requirements, and so forth, are just fine when they're written and or supported by Marijuana Policy Project and Drug Policy Alliance, no matter how much those measures shortchange the consumer. But a similar compromise to the 1% by an investor group in Ohio was unacceptable, even though that would have resulted in a better medical and recreational law for consumers than most of the states that have them. It's just, we had we had to... Give up. We had to throw Ohio under the bus because of its 10 gross site monopoly. And again, and again, this was just 10 lands where the growing could take place, not just 10 gross sites. There could have been hundreds and hundreds of growers. There could have been lots of companies growing on that land. It's just the land itself would have been owned by 10 investors that had to be rejected. And instead, once that got rejected, what did Ohio end up with? Well, they ended up with a medical marijuana law that has no home grow. You can't smoke your medical marijuana. And we don't know how many shops and grows there will actually be. We were all fine with supporting Washington's I-502 legalization that has no home grow and added an unscientific five nanogram per se DUID. We were fine supporting Nevada's question two: no home grow with a halo. And the medical marijuana retail monopoly. We're fine with supporting North Dakota's Measure 5. No home grow with a 40-mile halo. Arizona's Prop 203, their medical marijuana. 
no home grow with a halo. Minnesota, no home grow and $20,000 grower application fee that's non-refundable. You know, we're going to don't want to defer to the 1%. You just come up with 20K to throw away. No problem, right? New Hampshire's law, no home grow. Illinois' law, no home grow. 25,000 non-refundable fee. Delaware's law, no home grow. Massachusetts medical law, no home grow unless you have a hardship exemption. New York's law, no home grow. $10,000 non-refundable application fee. And then if you get accepted, the grow fee is $200,000 a year. Maryland, no home grow. 125,000 grower fee every year. New Jersey, no home grow. Connecticut, no home grow. $25,000 non-refundable application fee, and you got to prove you've got $2 million in escrow. Those compromises were okay. For some reason, those weren't giving the industry away to the 1%. For some reason, those weren't unacceptable barriers to entrepreneurship. But when it was a, a different group, an investor group, not one of us, not one of our reform groups trying their own style of compromise to make things happen, their own brand of sausage, if you will. Oh, no, that was that was a bridge too far. Boy, I bet the people in Ohio wish they had that 2015 legalization now, don't they? All right, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. And a quick note, uh, you want to catch my latest writing? I've got a lot of stats and data and graphics and all the blog-worthy stuff that I put up. You can find at weednews.co. Weednews.co. Do you remember a blog called The Weed Blog? So there used to be this blog called The Weed Blog, and there's a long story behind it, but uh, The Weed Blog uh, is... uh, has been abandoned, and I've joined up with the guys that used to run the Weed Blog. Now, the Weed Blog was pretty kick-ass blog as far as traffic goes on the internet, right? It was getting like two million, uh, you know, hits a, a month, right? 
getting really, you know, it was out trafficking places like normal and high times, right? <laughs> it was getting tons of traffic, right? So in August, uh, they left the weed blog. Well, they left the weed blog in July and they started weednews.co uh, along with me and Anthony Johnson. Uh, you know, Anthony from uh, the uh, Measure 91 here in Oregon, you know, legalization. And uh, Johnny Green, of course, a uh, great cannabis activist. And we got involved and started this weednews.co back in August. Okay. So our latest stats here, after just five months, we are getting over a quarter million visits a month. That's just in five months of work, over a quarter million. And you got to remember, Weedblog went up for years before it got up to two million. And we're already at a quarter million in just five months. So check it out at weednews.co uh, and forward that information to your friends, anybody out there in the cannabis sphere, if they want the latest news, opinion, and analysis on marijuana culture, law, statistics, health, all that kind of stuff, check out weednews.co. It's not a .com. We're stoners, man. We're too lazy for the M. It's weednews.co. <laughs> lazy my ass. I'm writing three, four posts a day. Uh, anyway, let's. speaking of these posts, here's one of my latest posts that I've got up on weednews.co. So what I put up today, which is a dozen quick facts about U.S. legal marijuana states. Just, you know, some things to know, right? Because Governor LePage up there in Maine finally signed off on legalization. So Maine is going to be legal as of January 30th, 2017. So it's going to be the ninth jurisdiction, ninth state plus D.C., right? And for the rest of this discussion, we're just going to include D.C. as if it were a state because it ought to be. That's a whole nother rant. But anyway, which state was the first to legalize? Which one got the most votes for legalization? Which states have medical marijuana? Uh, what about CBD only? Well, let's take a look at some of the data. First of all, just like George Washington was our first president, Washington was our first legal state. Now, it's true that on election night 2012, that Colorado, being in the mountain time zone, passed its legalization before Washington. But the effective date, you know, the day it became legal, that happened in Washington first. It was December 6th, 2012. And I'll remember it till my dying day because I was there. Yeah, I went up to uh, Seattle, caught the train, went to Seattle. I gathered under the Space Needle with about, oh, it was about 40 or 50 of us, uh, other cannabis consumers that showed up. And at midnight on December 6th, we uh, lit up underneath the Space Needle. Even though public consumption, of course, is illegal, uh, we did it anyway. Nobody busted us. And we had some uh, Associated Press photographers there as well. If you, if you search the AP photo archives, you can find a photo of me with a bullhorn doing the countdown to midnight. So I was I was there to smoke the first legal joint in America with others. Colorado became legal four days later on December 10th, 2012. As for the states that passed in 2014, Alaska became the first one. They were on February 24th, 2015. D.C. was February 26th. Oregon, as I mentioned earlier, didn't become legal until July 1st of 2015. Then for the states that just passed their legalization in this last election, California became legal at midnight of election night. So it was like November 9th. Boom, it was legal. Massachusetts went into effect December 15th. 
Nevada went into effect January 1st, and Maine will go into effect on January 30th. Now, because of this legalization that we have in these nine jurisdictions, eight states in D.C., with the passage of Prop 64 in California, the most populous state, we now have over 68 million Americans living where the possession of marijuana by adults is illegal. It's well over one out of five people. It's 21.23% of the U.S. population lives where marijuana is legal. Now, the other thing, not only is California the most populous state with 39 million people living in legalization, over half of the people living in legalization live in California, but California also holds the distinction of getting the biggest win for legalization, at least out of the states, with 57 0.13% of the vote. Oregon's got 56.11%. So California beat us by over 1%, but Oregon's was held in a midterm election. So we still hold the record for a midterm win. Of course, neither of the states come close to D.C., which passed its legalization with 70.06%. And when it comes to legalizing marijuana... There's only 11 states that have ever had legalization on the ballot. There have been 21 statewide votes to legalize marijuana. This dates all the way back to California's first Prop 19 back in 1972. And of the 11 states that have tried to legalize marijuana, only Washington, Maine, and Massachusetts have succeeded on their first attempt. There were three votes in Alaska, three in California, three in Nevada, and three in Oregon. Four different states that have voted three times to legalize, and it took the third time to get it right. Well, what about medical marijuana? With the recent addition of Florida and other populous states like New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, we now have over two, almost, almost, not quite, almost 200 million Americans living where they may qualify to use cannabis as medicine. That's over 60% of the U.S. population. we got 198 million Americans living in medical marijuana states. It's 61.79% of the population. And there are 15 states that voted on medical marijuana and another 15 states that passed it through their legislatures. Of the 15 states that voted on initiatives, there have been 17 initiatives, and three of them were losses. 14 times states passed. Only Arkansas, in 2012, lost, and Arkansas's 2012 was uh, 48.56%. Of course, they passed it in this most recent election. And South Dakota holds the distinction of being the only state where medical marijuana has been voted on twice and lost. In 2010, it was a 36.69% loss. In 2006, it was a 47.7% loss, which is really weird. South Dakota's support for medical marijuana actually dropped by about 11 points from one election to the next. Of these states that passed medical marijuana, their legislatures passed medical marijuana bills. And, of course, legislators pass more restrictive medical marijuana laws. Only three of the 15 states that passed through legislatures allow all patients 
to cultivate cannabis. And another three of the 15 don't even allow the possession of marijuana. All you can get is non-smokable cannabinoid preparations, tinctures and oils and such. So the three that are the restrictive no-bud states are Pennsylvania, New York, and Minnesota. And the three states that will allow all patients to cultivate are Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Vermont. New Mexico will allow you to cultivate if you get a special license. And then every state since 2010, every single state, medical state, either initiative or legislative since 2010, has not allowed all patients to home grow. In Arizona, they got that uh, halo, which doesn't mean anything anymore. Now that, well, yeah, it still means something. And in Nevada, uh, they got a halo now that was added to their law in 2013. And Massachusetts, you have to have a hardship exemption. And then all the other states with medical marijuana since 2010, no home grow. Now, there are some there is some good news with the uh, medical marijuana states in that of the 28 states in D.C. that have legalized medical marijuana, eight of them will respect a medical marijuana card from out of state. Now, of those five, Arkansas, Michigan, Nevada, New Hampshire and Ohio have complete reciprocity. You can go to their states. You won't get arrested and you can shop in the dispensaries. Arizona and Maine will recognize your card, but they won't let you shop in a dispensary. And Rhode Island is weird. They, they'll they recognize your card, but only if your card is for some condition that's covered under Rhode Island's law. And also consider, since Maine and Nevada are legal now, uh, reciprocity really is kind of a moot point. Because as long as you're an adult, your card counts. Now, there's also states, 15 of them, where their legislatures have passed laws allowing the use of cannabidiol extract, CBD, so long as it's low in THC. And it's usually for the treatment of childhood epilepsy and maybe a few other seizure disorders. Now, Florida also has a CBD extract law, but they also now have medical marijuana law, so it's kind of redundant to call them a CBD state. And Idaho is the only state where a legislature passed a CBD extract law, but the governor vetoed it. So of the CBD states, there's now 102 million people living in a state that is a CBD state. And that represents 31.84% of the U.S. population. Now, we also have decriminalization in America. Decrim is where there's 21 states that have it. And these are laws that treat the personal possession of marijuana as a civil infraction with a fine or a minor misdemeanor with no arrest. It basically means if you're caught with weed, you're going to get a fine, but you're not going to get arrested. Eight of the 21 decrim states have since legalized marijuana. So their possession fines for decrim are moot. They, they, they don't apply anymore. Of the 13 other states that are not legal states, but they do have decriminalization, nine of them treat it as a civil infraction fine, and four of them treat it as a minor misdemeanor. Uh, the minor misdemeanor states are uh, Ohio, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Missouri. And and Missouri's goes into effect this year, so it's a brand new, um, brand new uh, decriminalization. Now, the other uh, type of marijuana reform out there, industrial hemp, 
Well, no state has ever voted on an industrial hemp as a standalone ballot initiative. 32 state legislatures have passed laws allowing for research on industrial hemp. And the Farm Bill helps. That's the federal uh, farm bill that gave the go-ahead to states with hemp laws. Uh, Five of those 32 states have now got licensed hemp farmers currently growing. And another four of them have hemp research crops. And the rest of the states, the other 23 of them, uh, industrial hemp research is allowed, but nobody's really undertaken it on any sort of scale. This means we've got 216 million Americans living where hemp is legal. That represents 67.38% of the U.S. population. So more than two out of three people, almost two out of three. No, more than, I'm sorry, more than two out of three people in America live where industrial hemp is legal. So when you add it all up, you got 46 states and D.C. that have some form of legalized cannabis for some people. And again, some of these states have more than one of these laws, but eight states in D.C. have legalized marijuana for all adults. 13 states that aren't legal have decriminalized marijuana for all adults. 28 states in D.C. have legalized medical marijuana for some conditions. 15 states that aren't medical have legalized CBD extracts for some conditions. And 32 states have some form of industrial hemp. That leaves just four states, Idaho, Kansas, Louisiana, and South Dakota, where just over 10 million Americans are always facing threat of arrest for possession of any type of cannabis for any reason whatsoever. That's just 3.14% of the U.S. population. You can find all this data and the graphics that go with it at weednews.co. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Seeking a career in cannabis? Ready to become the next great bud tender? Increase your knowledge, skills, and higher ability with a Tricomb certification today. Tricomb Institute is the only cannabis education company in the world with courses that include textbooks, workbooks, and expert-approved and government-certified curriculum. Tricomb now offers these courses online. Take the courses at your own pace with 24-7 live human support from anywhere in the world. These courses are perfect for physicians, pharmacists, MMJ parents or patients, adult use customers, and most of all, aspiring bud tenders. The course includes full access to the cannabis industry's largest job board and even includes resume building help. Register for online courses with the cannabis industry's educational leader in science, education, and training. Visit TricombInstitute.com today. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Day. Just can't remember what it is. Why did I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. 41 after the hour. 
Got all sorts of stuff coming up this week here on the Russ Belleville Show, exclusively live on CannabisRadio.com. Thursday is our Cultivator's Corner. We're going to reach out to Jorge Cervantes and see if we can get him on the line for Thursday. And we've got some uh, other uh, guests that uh, I'm just getting to. I I don't have them booked yet, but uh, all these emails that have piled up over the Christmas break. We have plenty of really great guests to get to. I did want to talk about this uh, story uh, that I saw over the uh, New Year's holiday. Because uh, the, uh, the story caught my eye because it was about police being called because a pit bull had attacked a family because it didn't want to wear a Christmas sweater. Let me just read to you the story here. This is some quotes from the story. A dog angered by an attempt to put a sweater on it attacked three family members, one seriously, in Tampa on Friday, police said. Animal control and police responded, and animal control shot the dog with a tranquilizer gun. Wait, what? With a tranquilizer gun? That's where where the, the story started to confuse me, because I can't tell you how many times... I've had to read stories on a Facebook feed or in the news or following my marijuana posts where the cops first thing they see a dog and they shoot it. They kill it. Right. In fact, the Supreme Court had just ruled on this. I forget if it was the state or the U.S. Supreme Court had just ruled on this where if if a dog moves toward a, a cop and barks, he's justified in killing it. It was some I think it was a family that had sued for damages or something, but. Anyway, so I, I read this story. The, 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 they try to put a sweater on the pit bull. Pit bull gets mad, attacks and bites three of the family members, one of them real seriously. Animal control police responded. Animal control shot the dog with a tranquilizer gun. The story continues. The dog got into the house where there were two children in the back room. Oh, shit. Oh, here we go. This is where the dog gets killed, right? At that point, Tampa Police Department officers deployed a beanbag gun and stun gun to subdue the dog. Wait a minute. A tranquilizer gun, a beanbag gun, and then a stun gun? Wait, do all cops have this? Because, like I said, there's so many stories where the first thing the cop does is pull a service revolver out, service pistol, gun, handgun. Blam, 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 shoot the dog, right? No, they a beanbag gun and a stun gun. Okay. And then eventually, the story continues, eventually the dog was captured by animal control by using a catch pole. This is where they get that pole with the noose on it, right? And the dog can't bite you or anything. And that's it. That's the story, folks. That dog's still alive. Then the, the, the one lady that got bit said, still in the hospital and the two others are okay. They had some non-life threatening, you know, non-serious wounds, but this is, Oh my God, what a great way to start the new year. A story about cops being called about a vicious quote unquote pit bull, which by the way, very few of the, they, 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 they call pit bulls in the media are actually pit bulls. They're like a mix of a terrier of some sort, right? Whatever. But I get to start the the new year with a story of a dog not getting shot by cops. My God, that's beautiful. That's wonderful because I can't tell you. I got so many of these stories. I got this story here of, you know, there's stories where the, the, the cop uh, encounters the dog. The dog's behind a fence or in a crate and they'll shoot it. Right. There's no way the officer could have been hurt. 
here's one uh, in Commerce, Colorado, where the dog was restrained. It was already on the catch pole, right? They already had the dog's neck in the noose with the pole, and he tasered it and then shot it. Like it's already caught. There's a, a story where uh, uh, watching the video is just horrific because it's this little dog. It's like one of them uh, uh, Scotty dogs, little Scottish looking dog, right? Uh, in a in an apartment landing, and it comes out of the the door wagging its tail, just a happy little dog, and the cop shoots it dead. This was just in February of last year, and. There's just story after story after story here that I have of the cops killing the dogs. Now, there was one good news story that happened a couple of years ago. And this actually happened in my neck of the woods, my old hometown area, uh, Meridian, uh, Meridian, Idaho. And it was an officer, David Gomez. It's a, there's a video of it up on YouTube. YouTube. And this is where he's got two dogs that were kind of like vicious, kind of like, oh, these dogs mean business, right? These were not happy dogs. He was confronted by these two dogs and he de-escalated the situation with the dogs and he eventually got the dogs to go into the back seat of his squad car and then shut the door <laughs> and then they dealt with the situation. But this is because Officer Gomez was one of two cops at the Meridian, Idaho Police Department who got special training on how to deal with aggressive dogs. And this is where like the part of me reading the story goes, wait a minute, all cops don't get this training. <laughs> Why are we not training all cops on how to deal with, you know, reading dog body language, knowing how to deescalate a situation with a dog. I mean, postal workers in the United States were bitten over 6,500 times by dogs last in 2015. That's the latest stat 6,500 dog bites among postal workers. The postal workers get this training. They get the training. They learn how to put the mailbag in front of the dog. They learn how to de-escalate and so forth. And if worse comes to worse, they got a pepper spray they can use and so forth. So how is it that a postal worker can go every day, door to door to door to hundreds of doors every day through rain, sleet, and snow, and knowing that he... She, their coworkers are going to get bit 6,500 times, knowing that it's going to happen. Somebody's going to get bit. Are, are, are the postmen just braver than the cops? It's like the cops, oh my God, there's a dog. I have to shoot it and kill it because it might bite me. Ooh, aren't you wearing body armor during those SWAT raids? Like, how, how strong a teeth do you think this dog's got? And, and what, you can't take a dog bite? Look, I, I'm not saying that cops should never shoot dogs. You know, guy's got, you know, a, a criminal history and he's got two trained, you know, fighting pit dogs, you know, uh, trained to maul. And, and yeah, absolutely. There's a there's situations all the time where that should be the case, you know, where the, the, the violence is justified. But what I'm saying is most of these cases don't rise to that level. Like if the dog's head is not above your shin level. There's no point in shooting it dead <laughs> to, 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 to uh, avoid a nip on the ankle for the cop. That's somebody's family member, man. That's somebody's beloved pet. That's some kid's dog. These raids says a puppy. Now, bigger dogs, I can understand. There's a little more fear, a little trepidation. That dog could knock you down. That dog could tear a chunk out of you. But until that dog has done so, until that dog has actually lunged at you, 
There's no point in killing it. These cops need to be better trained. There needs to be more de-escalation in these situations because I'm telling you, it is traumatic for people to have their dog shot and killed in front of them. I got videos on this post of a five-year-old boy in Oklahoma. Officer, Oklahoma police officer shoots and kills family dog with an AR-15 during a little boy's birthday party. Right? And it's unfortunate And I think it happens far too often. And we really have no idea how often it happens. I mean, hell, there's no official records by our police as to how many humans they're shooting every year. So, no, there's nobody keeping track of how many canines they're shooting. There are citizens who've taken up this task. They've done some crowdsourced type of data collection. Uh, It was uh, puppyside.com, I think. And uh, they estimate that a cop kills a dog every 98 minutes in America. A little over an hour and a half. Every 98 minutes, some dog is shot by a cop. And I will keep focusing on this issue. The more I see it happen, I will, I will keep bringing it up. And um, it's, just, it's just a shame. And, and understand that the stories that you get when you actually hear a story of a cop shooting a dog on your news and stuff, it's usually the outlier story. It's usually because... It was the wrong address on a warrant or no drugs were found or if they were it was just a tiny bit of weed or the person who uh, whose dog was shot is somehow noteworthy in some way most of these stories go unreported especially if it's somebody who was growing weed because then the media just paints it as oh he had his vicious pit bulls guarding his stash All right, stay tuned. We'll be back. Close up shop here on this new year. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, folks, five minutes to the top of the hour. We can just wind things up here from Delta 9 Studios with a little politics talk. I don't know if you've been following what's going on with the defanging of the Ethics Commission. The, I think it's the House Ethics Commission. Anyway, one of the Ethics Commissions. Uh, Republicans are moving to uh, strip it of a lot of its power. <laughs> so Rob Reiner, you know Rob Reiner, Meathead? Boy, I'm dating myself with that reference, aren't I? Uh, Rob Reiner, the director of, um, of Princess Bride and a number of fantastic movies. And of course, the, uh, the ever popular uh, Spinal Tap uh, had a tweet out about this and now losing it in my uh <laughs> my in my feed but it was pointing out how uh we've got uh no press access no ethics committee and the most powerful country on earth being ruled by the tweets of a mentally unstable liar goodbye democracy <laughs> yeah folks it's gonna get interesting it's gonna be interesting these next uh few years 
And, you know, I don't know. I think our, I think our country's resilient. These folks that talk about it's the end of democracy, it's the end of this, the, I, I think our system is, is uh, more resilient than that. I don't think it's, I, I think it's the end of, of forward progress. I think for sure. I think, uh, the next four years we're going to backslide in a lot of ways in climate change, in recognition of LGD, LGBTQ rights. You know, can we, can we stop adding more initials to that, by the way? Uh, just, I know I'm, I know I'm a stereotypical white guy and everything. I've, I'm a winner in the privilege to Cathon and all. And I want to recognize multiculturalism and all identities, sexually speaking. But man, the other day I saw one that was LGBTQIA. I was like, after a while, you just want to put the whole alphabet in there, right? You get, get a, can't keep track of what all the letters stand for. You know, there's a point in acronyms where the acronym, the whole point of an acronym was to make something short, right? <laughs> now you're just making it longer. So I've seen some lately that have put up LGBT asterisk, but that's a little weird too, because it makes you think you makes you look at the bottom of the page. All right. What's the disclaimer here, <laughs> right? Are we only not counting transgender people? What's going on? So I don't know. I, I wish there was a better word. I don't like LGBTQIA. Blah, blah, blah. It's just, eh. you know, the more you add, if you don't add the more, then the people feel like they're not being included. And if you do add the more, then more people want to be included. And I don't know. Isn't that, uh, isn't there some simpler we could come up with? I don't know. I'm not going to come up with it. It's just a, a, a tangent I went off on. Anyway. Yes, I think we're going to backslide on climate change, on LGBTQ, on uh, women's rights, on uh, addressing financial uh, inequality, income inequality in this country. Uh, we're going to backslide economically. We're going to see uh, bigger deficits. We're going to see more of that uh, trickle down, trickle on type of economics being writ. There's going to be uh, a Kansas Sam, Sam Brownback for the entire nation kind of plan. Yeah, it's, and who knows? Maybe we even go back to the Cold War. We got Trump talking about having, needing more nuclear weapons. I mean, uh, it could get interesting over this next four years. But maybe, maybe this is just that death rattle, that last throes of 20th century, you know, white supremacist, Cold War, macho masculine mentality. Maybe this is just its last throes. Maybe the, the inevitable rebound off of Barack Obama. And then by 2020, we'll have come to our senses and we elect, uh, I don't know, President Oprah. <laughs> I was joking about that the other day, but you know how the Republicans, they'll put out like a Fred Grandy, they'll put a Fred Thompson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronald Reagan, uh, Donald Trump. They don't care if someone's been on TV. In fact, they see that as a positive. They see that as someone with charisma, someone that can move people. So, hey, Democrats, President Oprah and Vice President Newsom. That's all the time we got. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to burn.